welcome to the podcast. What podcast? It's Crime Culture. Oh. And who are you? Oh, I'm Caitlin. I'm Haley. Hi. Coming to you live from hell. <laughs> because it is... <laughs> I was going to say. It's, it says it's 97, and then the feels like temperature is 119. So, uh, if you... We put it on our our story on the day that we're recording this. So if you saw that, then you'll know what day we record. I'm gonna die. Elliot's gonna die. Sitting sitting behind me. Meanwhile, here in redacted California, it is 98 (laughs) degrees and feels like 98 degrees. So Nick Lachey, come at me. Feels like the band. Feels like the band. No, it would be a lot more humid if it was the band. Let's no band's land. The, let's, let's start I with hate the episode. Myself. All right. Yes. That's that's for the best for everyone. No, uh, we got no announcements. We're just going to jump right in. Not that I know of. You're saying that like I should know one, though. No. Is there one? Okay. No. You sure? It's the last episode of June? July? Is it? Is it July? It's, it's July. July. That much I do know. All right. Well, I don't know if it's the last episode of July. No, it's not. Fuck you, Haley. There's another one next week. Why you want oh, July yeah, to end so we bad? Got, we got five Tuesdays this Why week. Why are you wishing away all these kids' summer vacation? <sighs> I just want it to be not hot anymore. Oh, well. <sighs> anyway, what are we talking about today? So, if you didn't read the title, we're talking about the Manson family and... There are many, many crimes, mostly murder, but we got a little bit of grand theft. We got a little bit of arson. We got a little bit of everything. If they're most known for the murder. They're most known for two murders specifically. Or not two, but like two specific events yes. in which murders took place. But there were actually more than that. Interesting. Which we'll get into. Yes, I know. Right. Everybody talks about the famous people. But that's it. All right. All right. But getting into it. So we'll start with the ringleader, Charles Manson, who Mm -hmm. was born on November 12th, 1934. Uh Uh Uh-huh. That's whose birthday that is. Oh. He's a mine. We know. Yes, I know. (laughs) Um, So the other Antichrist was born on November 12th, 1934. (laughs) And he was born as Charles Mills Maddox. And was the illegitimate son of his mother, Karen, who Karen Maddox, who was a heavy drinking, hard partying, sixteen year old girl from Cincinnati. Woo! I changed initially in my like research. They were all describing her as promiscuous, so I chose hard partying instead because girls okay. can be promiscuous just as much as boys. True. Though sixteen is young. Um, yeah, a little bit. So his dad's identity, his birth father's identity, is unknown. Nobody really knows. I don't think Karen even knew. Mm. And um, so he eventually then took on his stepfather's last name, William Manson. Same as uh, Bundy did. Yes. Yes. And reportedly during Manson's childhood, it was rather tumultuous. Um, At one point, his mom allegedly sold him for a pitcher of beer to a woman who wanted to have kids. Wow. yeah, yeah, nice and at least she was, I mean, That's it different. depends. Was it an IPA or was it like Natty Ice? Like, it depends on her taste in beer. I think but, if you're um, just going to sell your child for it, it doesn't really matter if it's piss water or anything else. 
I mean, but it does because if it's, it's more insulting if it's for like Bud Light than if it's for he, like I don't think uh, Charlie cared. I definitely don't think Charlie cared, um, but his uncle cared, and mm-hmm. he had to find the woman so he could get his nephew back. Okay, good. Um, and then when Charlie was five, his mother went to jail for armed robbery. And then in 1947, at the age of 12, Lil Charlie, who up until that point had just received shining examples of what it means to be a good human, mm-hmm. was sent to the Gibbo, Gibalt, G-I-B-A-U-L-T, and I heard two different pronunciations for it, so I'm not sure which is correct. School for Boys in Terre Haute, Terre Haute, Terre Haute, Terre Haute thank you, love mm-hmm. you, Indiana for robbing a grocery store. Wow. At the ripe old age of 12. I mean, I feel like, what, what was he robbing? And also, why A grocery he, store. Yeah, but like, was, it, was he carrying a gun or stuff? Like some kids, they just like, they'll grab some gum and like shove it in their pocket and like. Oh yeah, I don't was know, he, he's 12. Was it armed robbery? I don't know. It, it, I don't know. I don't know. It was just, for all we know, it was just, he stole a bunch of shit, put it in his pockets, and walked out. All right. But um, over the next 20 years, he was in and out of reform schools and prison for various crimes, most of which were nonviolent, and the only, this was often categorized, oh, well, the only exception of this, the I'd like to make an amendment, the only rather fucking major exception Mm -hmm. being Manson's 1952 sodomization of a boy while holding a razor to his throat. Yeah, that's not, that's not to be like, well, he only did that. Yeah, that's a little more than just like the only exception. This isn't a fucking Paramore song. Like this is, this is a pretty, that's a big one. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So while in prison, uh, bank robber Alvin Karpis taught Manson how to play the steel guitar and Manson developed a love and talent for music, hmm. which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. So psychiatrists over the years saw Manson as, quote, a very emotionally upset youth, end quote. Quote, With reason slick. to be. Yeah, I know, right? Like, it's not like his mom, I don't know, sold him for a pitcher of beer or anything. Yeah, he didn't have a, a real fun time. No. Um, he was also seen as, quote, slick but, quote, extremely sensitive. Mm -hmm. Um, He was seen as, quote, dangerous. And this I found interesting. With, quote, homosexual and assaultive tendencies, end quote. Hmm. Um, So it's interesting that they noted on that because it has not been something that's been noted. Like, it hasn't been, like, brought to the forefront of any Manson things that I had ever seen or read or heard. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... He was also seen as having, quote, an unstable personality, end quote. No fucking shit. Yeah. Um, But being potentially able to, quote, straighten himself out. Um, He was also seen as being, quote, unable to control himself, end quote, with a, quote, tendency to cut up, end quote, which is like, I'm assuming he was like a class clown. Mm -hmm. Um, And having, quote, work habits that range from good to poor, end quote. Um, he was also known for being, quote, erratic and moody, end quote, and, mm-hmm. quote, a classic textbook case of a correctional institution inmate, hmm. end quote. And then he was seen as a, quote, energetic person, 
who hides, quote, his loneliness, resentment, and hostility behind a facade of superficial ingratiation, end quote. Big words. Big words. Um, though, if you think about it, if you, if you break down the big words and use your context clues, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is all, like, over the course of his multiple stints in prison, including his stint in prison for the murder. Yeah. Um, he was also seen as being, quote, emotionally insecure and tending to, quote, involve himself in various fanatical interests, end quote. And finally, they said that he was, quote, in need of a great deal of help in the transition from institution to the free world, end quote. Clearly. And I think that goes for people who, like anybody that has been in and out of uh Yeah, jail I'd say that's or, pretty universal. Yeah. Like... Yeah, I, I checks out. Checks There's out. so much to get used to. If you've been locked away in a room for X amount of years, shit's going to change when you get out. So you need help. Shit's going to change a lot process. when you get out. Yeah, you need help in that transition. Yeah. But regardless, so mm-hmm. that that's just, believe it or not, that's just a like quick little overview of all the problems that were Charles Manson. Yeah. So then, on March 21st, 1967, so Manson was about, let's see here, 33? Haley, I can't help math. The age of 23 or 33? No, that's 34. Yes, 33, age of Jesus, which makes sense (laughs) later. Thank you for that. Um, Manson was released from prison following a completion of a 10-year sentence for forging a check. 10 years? Yep. Jesus. Yep. All right. And rapists get six months. Anyway, so he told prison officials that he didn't want to be released and said, quote, oh, no, I can't go outside there. I knew that I couldn't adjust to that world. Not after all my life had been spent locked up and where my mind was free. End quote. However, unable to comply. Yeah. Very sad. And he probably was self more self-aware in prison but became increasingly well obviously he became increasingly unhinged yeah but oh shit you've seen interviews of him right yeah oh <laughs> we'll get into it we'll get into it but yeah he was probably at least more self-aware despite having more freedom with his mind in prison yeah yeah however the state of california was not able to comply with his request and released him and so he, with the help of a friend, got an apartment and moved north to the Haight-Ashbury section of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So Manson lived mostly by begging, and he soon got to know a 23-year-old graduate of the University of Wisconsin-Madison named Mary Brunner, who was working as a library assistant at UC Berkeley. And mm-hmm. Manson then moved in with her soon after. So according to a secondhand account, he, she... He wanted to bring other women to live in the house with him. Okay. Big love style. And she resisted. She wasn't into it. And he eventually overcame that. Yeah, I know. But still, he overcame that. And before long, they were sharing Brunner's, again, Brunner's house or apartment or whatever this is, with 18 women. Wow. Yeah. What a fucking piece of work. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, while in San Francisco, Manson established, yeah, Manson established himself as a guru, and mm. during, this is during 
1967 Summer of Love, which yeah. it was emerging as the signature hippie locale, the Height Asbury Ashbury District. Yes. And so he appeared to have borrowed some of his philosophies from the Process Church of Final Judgment. Um, and those members believed that Satan would become reconciled to Christ and that they'd come together at the end of the world to judge humanity. Mm. Um, and Manson began to steadily attract a group of followers, which primarily consisted of, shockingly, vulnerable young people, primarily women. Yep. Never would have expected that. No. Nope. And he called them his, quote, family, which was a name that stuck. Yeah. So the activities of the family included sexual orgies, hallucinogenic drug trips, and frequent sermons by Manson on the meaning of the Beatles music and the coming of Helter Skelter. Just and all 60s things. All very 60s things. Like if you trained a bot to write a one page script on the 60s, this is everything that would come up. Yep. And so Manson also dominated his family's lives to the extent of even telling them who they could have sex with. And nobody questioned his authority. Mm -hmm. um, many of the family members seemed to see Manson as having Christ-like characteristics. And it was a perception that Manson encouraged. And he would often ask things like, don't you know who I am? Like yeah, that open-ended type of... He tried to make himself look like white Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, he also taught his followers that they were the reincarnation of the original Christians and that the Romans were the establishment, the, the man, the government. Uh -huh. And so he strongly implied that he was Jesus Christ. And he often told them a story of he would envision himself on the cross with the nails in his feet and his hands. And sometime around 1967, he also began using the alias Charles Willis Manson which he mm -hmm. often said very slowly, as in Charles's will is man's son, implying wow. that his <laughs> will was the same as that of Jesus Christ, the son of man. So wow, that's that's deep. That's a deep cut. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. Whew. Um, and speaking of deep cuts, also in 1967, Brunner got pregnant by Manson, and on April 15th, 1968, she gave birth to a son who they named Valentine Michael, nicknamed Pooh Bear, and <laughs> she gave birth to him in a condemned house in Topanga Can Canyon oh, no. with the assistance of several of the young women from the family. Oh, honey. Yeah, just tetanus waiting to happen. And <sighs> after the family would travel in this dilapidated old school bus that they kind of like revamped and made into like a home like you see in all of those YouTube channels now. Mm -hmm. um, they traveled all over the West Coast as far north as Washington State and as far south as Mexico. And after nearly 18 months, the family moved into a series of residences in the Los Angeles area in 1969 before ultimately settling at Spawn Movie Ranch, which mm -hmm. was a... It was an old collection of western movie set buildings oh. and it was largely i'll get into like the ownership and everything too like in a second but it was basically to describe it it was like super dilapidated and it wasn't being used for sets anymore it was mostly being used for like pony rides and shit like that like okay. it was like it was making zero money yeah, yeah it was it was making zero money uh -huh. and it was located outside of chatsworth california Mm -hmm. And female family members did chores around the ranch and on Manson's orders occasionally had sex with the 
pretty much blind 80-year-old owner George Spawn. And the women also acted as seeing-eye guides for Spawn. And in exchange for all of this, Spawn allowed the Manson family to live at the ranch for free. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, you're having sex with him. Of course, he's going to let you live there for free. Yeah. That's the payment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so technically, it wasn't free. Um, yeah. But and so while we're on the subject of the Manson family, though, we're just going to list off some key players here because now basically it, we're at Spawn Ranch. Everything has formed. And I also, for those who are wondering why I'm skipping ahead, this is a very broad like there are so many details it's 50 years and we're still learning yeah. new details and it's going to be very broad in the story very broad in the pop culture please do not come for me in the comments anyway yeah. moving on we're going to get right into it so first we have charles tex watson who was mm-hmm. an honor student and athlete from texas who dropped out of college moved to la and ended up joining the family and he's been described as being manson's quote right hand man mm. which will prove to be true soon Mm -hmm. um then we've got leslie van hooten who is a one-time homecoming princess and she was 19 at the time of all of this shit going down and was the youngest in the group or second youngest in the group because Mm -hmm. the youngest was diane lake who met manson at 14 years old and became just captivated with him and was like yeah i'm this is this seems fine yeah um 14 14 yeah just 14 and then we have paul watkins who was the same age as van hooten and he was a family member who largely served as manson's foremost recruiter of young female members Mm. um and then another one of those female members would be linda kasabian who Mm -hmm. after two failed marriages and the birth of her daughter tanya at the she's only 20 and when she joined the spawn ranch Mm -hmm. in july of 1969 but 20 years had old two failed marriages and a kid wow. like this like he really that's the type of people like people who are very vulnerable people yeah. who were at sea and so then other members who we'll get into later were patricia katie krenwinkel lynette squeaky from and susan sexy sadie atkins Ooh, i don't want that nickname that's your new nickname from now on no I this is it. crime culture with caitlin and sexy sadie um <laughs> huh i hate it (laughs) thanks i hate it um so then in the late 1960s around the same time that they were moving around looking for spawn branch manson met a music teacher and phd student named gary hinman Mm -hmm. and in spring of 1968 so still around the time that he met hinman manson also met beach boys drummer dennis wilson through I mean, though accounts of this initial meeting differ. I misread something. Woo. Um, And (laughs) apparently, so one of the stories is that Wilson picked up two hitchhiking members of the family, Krenwinkel and another member named Ella Jo Bailey, and brought them to his house for a couple of hours before going to a night recording session. And when he came back in the early hours of the next morning, he was greeted in his own driveway by Manson, who literally just walked out of the house like he owned the place. Mm. And like, imagine out of the kindness of your heart. Yeah, it's the 60s. Picking up these hitchhikers, taking them to your place and being like, here, crash here for the night. I got to go somewhere. I'll be back in the morning mm-hmm. and coming back. And it's just been overrun with squatting hippies. <laughs> the entire fucking family was there overrun um, with squatting hippies overrun with squatting fantastic hippies. phrase 
it's it's a mad libs phrase for sure <laughs> um so wilson was understandably uncomfortable and he yeah. asked manson who was a stranger to him if he was going to hurt him and assuring him that he had no such intention jesus christ manson began kissing wilson's feet and upon uh, yeah wonder what comes next washing his feet with his hair perhaps i'm not sure mm. so upon entering the house wilson discovered 12 strangers mostly female were inside meanwhile backtracking a little bit manson says that this is not what happened okay taking taking his account with a grain of salt but still he yeah. said he first met wilson at hinman's house um and other accounts he just said it was a friend's but he also said it was hinman that introduced them mm-hmm. and manson had gone to hinman's house to get some weed and wilson while there supposedly gave manson his address and invited him to stop by when he came to la i'm gonna say that is not what happened i am also gonna say that that's not what happened because who the fuck does that mm-hmm. just just gonna put that out there nobody nobody um so then wilson then said in a 1968 article in the record mirror that after mentioning the beach boys involvement with maharashi mahesh yogi to a group of what he called strange women um he said quote they told me they too had a guru a guy named charlie so over the next few months as the number of women in wilson's house doubled the family members made themselves at home and integrated themselves into his household costing him approximately a hundred thousand dollars which included a large medical bill for treatment of their gonorrhea and twenty one thousand dollars for the accidental destruction of his uninsured car which they borrowed all right yeah the 60s (laughs) So Wilson would sing and talk with Manson while the women were treated as servants for them both. Mm-hmm. Wasn't really elaborated on what kind of servants those were, but given what okay. they did at Spawn Ranch, we can assume. Yeah. Um, so, but regardless of all of this, Wilson then introduced Manson to record producer Terry Melcher, who is the son of actress Doris Day. And okay. he, Wilson paid for studio time for manson to record his music and melcher after he initially did show interest in this music eventually declined to work with manson any further and at the same time wilson's manager evicted the manson family from his home they were like enough is enough like get out of my client's house and soon after melcher also moved out of his rented home on cielo drive and it was then rented by prolific film director Roman Polanski. Um, mm. One of his most famous works would be Rosemary's Baby, which is an unfortunate example given what's about to happen. And his new wife, Sharon Tate, who is a Golden Globe nominated actress, mostly known for her role in Valley of the Dolls. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, Manson is under this impression that Hinman, the PhD student and music teacher who may or may not have introduced him to Wilson, was wealthy had a lot of stocks and bonds owned his own property all that jazz so he sent another family member named bobby bosolet who was an aspiring musician and actor along with brenner his baby mama and atkins to Mm -hmm. hinman's home on july 25th 1969 to convince gary to join the family which unrelated included turning over his assets to the family just unrelated just a coincidence no 
No, he loved him. He wanted him to be part of the family. He didn't yeah. care about any of that stuff. No, it's it's a materialistic society. It's truly, it's we don't need it's any just, of that. Yeah, we're just so, hippies, man. Yeah, yeah, we're just, we're all about, like, peace and love. So then, obviously, Hinman was like, no. Yeah, no, and, that shit. Yes, and so Atkins, Brenner, and Beausoleil held him hostage for two days, during which Manson did show up to his house and cut off his ear. Some accounts say he also cut it off with a sword. Others say a knife. Huh. I'm not really sure. Either way, it's fucked up. I don't care the blade length. It's still an ear that it's has been removed. It's still an ear, yes. Um, this is some Van Gogh shit. And so then Manson eventually ordered the family to kill Hinman because he wouldn't comply. So Bussolet stabbed Hinman to death. And before leaving his home, either Bussolet or one of the women used Hinman's blood to write political piggy on the wall and draw a Black Panther paw, <sighs> like the symbol of the Black Panthers. Yeah. So they tried to pin it on the Black Panthers, which is really fucking cool. Like, that's what you should do. Um, yeah, of course. Not. Um, <laughs> slash S. So then when Hinman was found on July 31st, his face, police discovered, had been deeply slashed on the left side and he had two stab wounds in his chest. And also his house had been ransacked. Mm-hmm. Cool. So Bausolet would later say in interviews that he went to Hinman's house to recover money that had been paid to Hinman for drugs that had supposedly been bad and that Brenner and Atkins were not aware of his intentions and just went along with him to visit Hinman. On the other hand, Atkins would later say that Manson directly told Bausolet, Brenner and her to go to Hinman's and get a supposed inheritance of twenty one thousand dollars. And she said that Manson had told her privately two days before that if she wanted to, quote, do something important, end quote, she could kill Hinman and get his money. I don't believe any of these fucking people. (laughs) No, no. They just all sound like they're trying to, like, save their own ass. Yeah, absolutely. But regardless, Beausoleil was ultimately arrested on August 6, 1969, after he had been caught, some say driving, some say sleeping in the back of Hinman's Fiat, which had been missing after this crime occurred. Yeah, just and steal the car of the guy you murdered, you fucking yeah, that seems piece of shit. That seems like a smart way to go. Oh, God. So they caught him, and then they also found the murder weapon in the tire well. So that Great. really Don't sealed that. it for him. Yeah, that kind of sealed the deal. They were like, all right, well, we found the killer. But the murders did not stop there. So then on August 8th, 1969, two days after Bessolet's arrest, Manson declared to the family that, quote, now is the time for Helter Skelter, end quote. Mm -hmm. So he commanded a small group of his most loyal followers to go to, quote, that house where Melcher used to live, end quote, and to, quote, totally destroy everyone in it as gruesome as you can, end quote. Wow. Nice. I never knew that that was a quote. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It it gets... We'll get into some some vocalizations of Manson in a bit. Um, Because it gets more fun where that comes from. Mm. So, the murders were committed by the Manson family members Atkins, Watson, and Krenwinkel, with Kasabian serving as a lookout. And the victims were 26-year-old Tate, who was pregnant and almost full-term. She was eight and a half months pregnant with her and Polanski's son at the time. Yeah, Yeah. 26. Your age. A year older than me. Yeah, I didn't even realize. Pregnant. Pregnant. That's how young she was. That's crazy. It's gross. Just like my cough, which I'm going to get rid of. Don't worry. 
where I'm going to talk about a cough. No one's going to know what I'm talking about. They're going to be like, what cough? And I'm like, exactly. Um, so then that was, it was her. She was there with writer Fjogiek or Wojciech, W-O-J-C-I-E-C-H, Frakowski, um, who was a writer. And then his girlfriend, book editor, coffee heiress, Abigail Folger of like Folgers of, of of the Folgers of the Folgers wow and celebrity hairstylist Jay Sebring who mm-hmm. also was Ma- Manson goodness gracious no was also Tate's ex-fiance they were engaged when she met Polanski and she essentially left him for oh. Polanski no but they stayed really close mm. like it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> as messy as you would think it was not as messy as you would think I don't know it sounds pretty fucked up to me pretty fucked up but like they said he he was a friend of not just tate's but also polanski's ouch yeah i don't know man i don't know you don't know maybe it was like a cover-up type of thing maybe he wasn't into girls like we don't even know maybe um but while polanski was researching a project in london Forkowski and folger were he asked them to stay with tate and so then sebring was also just like visiting that night okay and um also killed was Stephen Parent, who was only 18 years old. And it was just a really tragic case of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, because he was on the Polanski Tate property to visit his friend, 19-year-old groundskeeper William Gerritsen, and was shot to death in his car while at the front gate. Mm. So Watson drove to the estate with Atkins, Krenwinkel, and Kasabian in an old Ford. And when they arrived on the property after midnight on August 9th, they encountered the car driven by Parent, and Watson shot him in the face before he, Atkins, and Krenwinkel broke into the main house, leaving Kasabian to stay at the gate as a lookout. Mm. So Watson was the first one to enter the house. He encountered a sleeping Frakowski and proceeded to kick him in the head. And Ah. when Frakowski asked who he was and what he was doing there, Watson allegedly replied, quote, and I, oop, um, I'm the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's business, end quote. Mm. So Atkins, at Watson's direction, reportedly went around and found the house's other occupants. Watson would later describe the four victims as, quote, running around the place like chickens with their heads cut off, end quote. No mm-hmm. fucking shit. So Tate, Frakowski, Folger, and Sebring were made to gather in the living room, with Watson forcing Tate and Sebring to be linked with a rope tied around their necks that he then slung from ceiling beams. And when Sebring protested over Tate's rough treatment, because again, lady with a baby. Yeah, right? Watson shot and stabbed him to death. Oh, God. Yeah. So, and also, as far as lady with a baby, imagine also being tied by the neck now to your ex-fiance's dead body. Yeah, also, doesn't... Something like that, uh, jarring, and um, I don't, doesn't that make you, can't that make you go into labor? Um, traumatic events can make people go into labor. Especially because she was literally, like, any day now Yeah, from yeah. giving birth. It can. I don't think it did. Um, based on... Well, yeah, we wouldn't know in this yeah. instance. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah. So... Super cute, super sweet, super nice. That's just another crazy thing to think about. It's like, I mean, of all the other crazy things that were happening that night, 
she could have given birth at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's just horrible. Yeah. And 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 I didn't, I actually didn't know about that kid in the the very beginning. That's really sad too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and it gets worse. It gets worse. Yeah. Um, so then Frykowski and Folger managed to free themselves and fled the house, but both were chased down and killed by Krenwinkle and Watson. Mm -hmm. Um, from one article that I found, which was written in 1969, like right after this whole thing went about, so they didn't uh-huh. know about the Manson family or anything yet. It said that Frakowski and Folger were actually, their their bodies were found in their car. Like they were trying okay. to escape and go get help. And yeah. these people caught up to them. Um, wow. And Frakowski had been stabbed 51 times and shot twice, while Folger was stabbed 28 times. Jeez. And reportedly back in the house, Tate was pleading for the life and for the life of her child. She told the Manson family that she wanted to be allowed to live long enough to have her baby and offered herself up as a hostage in exchange for that. And then Atkins and or Watson, it's not really known who, fatally stabbed Tate 16 times. And Atkins later said that she tasted Tate's blood and found it to be, quote, warm and sticky, end quote. Mm, That's horrifying. Oh, you want to hear horrifying? Oh, God. Kasabian later said, again, she was not physically there. She was just the lookout. Yeah. Um, that Tate cried out for her mother during the attack, saying, no. quote, I saw a woman in a white dress and she had blood all over her and she was screaming and calling for her mom. I saw Katie stabbing her. Oh, my God. End quote. Um, as they left, Atkins used Tate's blood to write the word pig on the front door. As mm. Manson allegedly instructed the women to leave a sign, something witchy, end quote, as a signature pig, after the murders. Pig is the best you can come up with? I mean, think about it. Like, pigs are used in, like, sacrifices. Also, I don't know if I mention it here. Oh, I will mention it. Because, um, so, hang on. So the bodies were found at 9.15 a.m. on August 9th by Tate's housekeeper, Winifred Chapman, who... Mm-hmm ran to a neighbor's house screaming murder death bodies blood end quote wow and police said that this call came in quote you get a, you better get a police car over here right away there's a man lying on the front lawn and blood all over the place it looks like a bad one end quote and then the wow. address was given mm-hmm. on the front lawn were the bodies of frykowski and folger and inside the house were the bodies of tate and sebring who were found in the living room still connected by the rope four feet apart from each other with a white hood over Sebring's head. So that's where, mm-hmm. like, another ritualistic sign could yeah. be taken. Yep. But, um, so, like, that's another thing or whatever. And again, other accounts said that they were found in their car. I don't really yeah. know where the bodies were found. The point is that the bodies were there. Yeah. So, police were not able to save the baby. Um, and his name would have been Paul. I felt that that was important to bring up um yeah if you see sharon tate's grave she is buried with her son and they do acknowledge what they were planning to name the baby Mm. um and so it was discovered that the telephone line had been cut at a pole outside the main gate um and it was later said to be watson but again nobody knows for sure but whoever cut the wire had to climb at least 18 feet up the pole with clippers Jeez. Yes. So, like, they were in it. Yeah. Um, 
they were like their resolve was unmatched yeah um police then later found parent dead in his car in the driveway and initially held garretson the houseboy for questioning and charged him with five counts of suspicion of murder oh, wow. 19 years old woke up and like things like he the, there was clearly a struggle and yeah. like he had a rip in his pajama pants he didn't know that any of this happened he was asleep yeah his and, friend was killed yeah and so they just immediately were like yeah no he did it and packed him up um obviously these charges were later dropped but yeah. he was the primary suspect and like this was a time before news outlets anything like that were like the police have arrested a suspect but they haven't released the name of this time no like literally when the articles went out they were like and their houseboy william garretson was arrested for the murders they believe he did it wow all because he had a fucking hole in his pajama pants because they were like oh that's a sign of a struggle and there was also apparently the sign of a struggle outside of his like guest house that he was staying in okay so then manson who was displeased at the sloppiness of the previous night's murders because you know Mm -hmm. as you do um he wanted the killings to be quote more gruesome according to van hooten's testifying whoa testimony not testification i can't (laughs) um he wanted them to be more gruesome and he felt that they had not caused enough quote panic in the victims panic yeah um so he accompanied a group of his followers on a drive to find more victims that night and in the car were watson atkins krenwinkel kasabian and again as i mentioned van hooten as well Mm -hmm. as steve clem grogan and after several hours the group came upon the house of supermarket executive leno labianca and his wife rosemary in the early hours of august 10th and as they left the car manson told them quote don't let them know you are going to kill them, end quote. Okay. Super sweet. Yeah. Super cute. Su- super cryptic. Yep. And so then after Manson and Watson tied the group up, or the couple up, not the group, um, and robbed them, Manson left with Atkins, Kasabian, and Grogan. And Hooten said, quote, Van Hooten said, quote, Tex told Pat, which is, um, uh, Krenwinkel. Tex told Pat and I to go to the kitchen and get knives, and we took Mrs. LaBianca into the bedroom and put a pillowcase over her head. I wrapped the lamp cord around her head to hold the pillowcase on her head. I went to hold her down, end quote. Mm. After all of this, Rosemary began calling out for her husband, and Van Hooten, acting on orders from Manson, said that she and Krenwinkel stabbed Rosemary in the torso, the coroner's report eventually concluded that Rosemary had been stabbed between 14 and 16 times. Again, the group left after writing words like rise, death to pigs, pig, and helter skelter with helter being spelled H E A L T E R in blood on the walls and refrigerator. And in the morning, the police found Leno with a knife lodged in his throat and 12 (sighs) stab wounds and seven pairs of fork wounds and the word war had been carved on his stomach. And mm. then Rosemary was found with those multiple stab wounds in both her chest and her neck. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple theories as to why the Manson, well, Manson specifically, chose this particular house because mm-hmm. he had no ties to the LaBiancas. Yeah. 
Um, some reports indicated that it was selected at random for its location in an upper middle class neighborhood because Manson did want to target affluent white people who he referred mm-hmm. to as, quote, pigs. Yeah. And this is the the whole pig thing is actually a reference also to a Beatles song, just like Helter Skelter was, okay. um, which the song is called Piggies. And it mm-hmm. has lyrics like, quote, what they need is a damn good whacking, end quote, which mm. I don't think John, Paul, George and Ringo meant for that to be taken seriously. Probably not. But there's also a reason to believe that Manson's selection of this house might have been more deliberate because in a 2013 interview with Rolling Stone, Manson said that he used to go to parties at the house next door to the LaBiancas where a UCLA student named Harold True lived with his roommates. And according to this article in Rolling Stone, the Manson family began hanging out at True's house in August 1968 and continued to stop by even after he moved out. Just, hey, is, is Harold home? Yeah. Um, and according to this account, the night after the Tate murders, Manson and his followers drove around the city looking for their next target, eventually wound up at True's house, went inside, saw it was vacant, and decided to go next door to the house, which ended up being the LaBiancas. Mm, okay. So, two theories. Um, but regardless, the crimes created a panic in L.A., um, especially given that they were fucking horrific um frank sinatra went into hiding mia farrow who was the star of rosemary's baby and friends with polanski and tate wouldn't even attend sharon's funeral because according to a relative she was afraid that she quote would be next Mm. um tony bennett moved from his bungalow on the grounds of the beverly hills hotel to an indoor suite for quote greater security steven Mm. steve mcqueen um because now there's a Stephen R. McQueen, and so I get all kinds of confused. Um, (laughs) Steve McQueen, the actor, began keeping a weapon under the front seat of his sports car, and Jerry Lee Lewis installed an alarm system in his home, complete with closed-circuit TVs. Wow. Yeah. So investigators, meanwhile, were initially pretty puzzled, and they did not make the connection between the two murder scenes at first. Mm -hmm. Um, On September 1st, 1969, a 10-year-old boy in Sherman Oaks found a .22 caliber Longhorn revolver under a bush near his house. You know, like you do. Just casually finding guns. Yeah, mommy, look what I found. Um, His parents, understandably, told the LAPD. They came and picked up the gun, but they still failed to make any connection between the gun and the Tate murders. Okay. Even though pig was written on both scenes? Right. But no. Yeah, so the police are fucking clueless in this scenario. Yeah. Um, got it. They couldn't watch even my figure words. out. They couldn't even figure out Biggie's murder. But that's yeah. for another day. That's for another. That's for another day. Yeah. Um, but so while they were clueless, Tate and Polanski's friends had lots of theories about who committed the crime. And filmmaker Andre Krakowski. Andre is spelled A N D R Z E J. So it could be Andres. It could be something else it could just be andrew we don't really know well by we i mean me i (laughs) that one i pulled up to me i get multiple andre was the one that was like the most universal pronunciation so i assumed i did the ass thing come for me in the comments um he was a friend of polanski's and he identified the bodies um because again polanski was in london 
Yeah. And he told the Post that he initially suspected the gun-loving Frakowski in a murder-suicide scenario. Oh. Um, others close to Polanski and Tate blamed the mafia or drug dealers. Um, Krakowski also recalled that Paul Tate, Sharon's dad, and he was a former army intelligence officer, had adopted a hippie-ish look and lifestyle and frequented sunset strip bars where chatty scenesters might know something. Mm. Meanwhile, this is just really super fucking sad. Um, Polanski was just, he became unhinged after this, but especially he became obsessed with finding out who killed his wife and child yeah no shit and he believed at first that it was an inside job and he would wander around late at night through la's ritzy neighborhoods sneaking into people's driveways looking for blood on the porsches and lamborghinis in the driveways oh um he spent 25 getting very creepy it was obsessive um, he spent $2,500 to analyze producer William Castle's handwriting to see if it matched the bloody lettering of pig left by the killers on his front door. Mm-hmm. It didn't. Um, and when he discovered the prescription for a pair of glasses found at the crime scene, he obtained a pricey lens measuring gauge and figured out what the prescription was. And for months, he checked his friend's prescriptions to see if they matched. Wow. And then shortly after the murders... They were very good friends with Bruce Lee, um, and Lee was training Polanski in the Paramount Studios gym when he mentioned that he had recently lost his glasses and needed to replace him. Mm. And Polanski was heartbroken because Bruce Lee was like a big support system for him when Sharon and the baby were killed. Um, He Sharon was the one that introduced the two of them. He had come to California basically knowing nobody and anything. And she invited him over for dinner and was like, oh, Roman's going to love you and introduced them. And they became like really good friends. Mm -hmm. So Polanski nevertheless set up a trap. And according to Matthew Polly, who was the author of the biography, Bruce Lee, a life Mm -hmm. Polanski, quote, very coolly said to Bruce, on the way home, we can stop at my ophthalmologist for your glasses. It will be my gift to you. And much to Polanski's relief, the prescriptions did not match. All right. But just... But still creepy. Obsessive. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like, I don't even know that I would go so far as to say creepy because this guy had his entire life destroyed in one night. He called That's his true. wife from yeah. London daily. Yeah. Like, he asked his friends to stay with her because he had to go on this research trip, but, like, he wanted to be sure she would be okay and safe. Yeah. Um, So, ultimately, detectives were convinced that a drug transaction was the likely trigger for the Tate House murders. Mm -hmm. However, in October 1969, a bunch of members of the Manson cult, including Brenner, Atkins, Bailey, Lake, Nancy Laura Pittman... Bruce Van Hall, Marcus John Arneson, and Suzanne Scott were arrested for committing grand theft of a bus as well as arson. Wow. And yeah, um, Scott Atkins, or Scott Atkins, Jesus Christ, Scott, comma, Atkins, comma, there we go. Lake and Hall were charged with possessing fictitious and fraudulent driver's licenses. Hmm. Uh, Pittman, Arneson, and Bailey were jailed on charges of disorderly conduct and not possessing proper ID. And five other family members were released without being charged. Brunner was booked on endangering the life and health of a child after Valentine was found 
by deputies improperly dressed and shivering and the baby was placed in the care of the ventura county general hospital Mm. charges against brunner were later reduced to contributing to the delinquency of a minor and she was given two years probation and a 15-day suspended jail sentence she Mm. then told authorities that she planned to return to her parents home in wisconsin and valentine was returned to her and they went back to wisconsin all right so then on november 6 1969 Atkins then boasted to a fellow inmate named Virginia Castro that she was the one who killed Tate, saying it was, Mm -hmm. quote, because we wanted to do a crime that would shock the world, that the world would have to stand up and take notice, end quote. Atkins also told a list of celebrities that she planned, well, she and other family members planned to kill in the future. And this included Elizabeth Taylor and her on again, off again husband, Richard Burton, Tom Jones. It's not unusual Steve McQueen, who was right to hide that weapon under his seat, and Frank Sinatra, who was right to go into hiding. Yeah. So through an inmate of, uh, like an inmate friend of Castro's, Ronnie Howard, the Atkins story soon reached the LAPD. Mm. So on November 12th, 1969, the LA Sheriff's detectives interviewed Al Springer, who was a member of the Straight Satan Motorcycle Gang, who Manson had also tried to recruit into the family, but for whatever reason, didn't straight up murder like he did the other guy. Um, Gee, wonder why that would be. Um, So word had gotten out that the straight Satans might have more knowledge about who could be responsible for another recent murder with a lot of similarities to the LaBianca killings. Mm -hmm. And it did end up just being a a copycat murder, but regardless... Springer told detectives that Manson had bragged to him in August at Spawn Ranch after offering him his pick from among the 18 or so, quote, naked girls scattered around the ranch about, quote, knocking off five people. Yeah, I don't like it either. I don't like Mm. the naked part. I don't like the killing five people part. No, I don't like any of it. I don't like any of it. So when Springer told detectives that Manson said that the Tate killers, quote, wrote something on the refrigerator in blood, something about pigs, end quote, the detectives knew that they might be onto something. But it still struck them as being weird that anybody would confess to several murders to somebody that they barely knew. Like, why would Atkins do this? She's so looking out of her mind. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the reason. But that's not the thing that apparently the police are going to jump to. They're right. more likely to be like, oh, it was drugs. Um so it then took another member of the straight satans named danny DeCarlo to get them to shift the focus of the investigation 100 percent over to manson when he told police he heard a manson family member brag quote we got five piggies end quote mm. and that manson had asked him what to use quote to decompose a body end quote wow. yeah super nice super cute yeah. super sweet super fun so then on November 18, 1969, Deputy District Attorney Vincent T. Bugliosi was assigned the case. Um, he had a really great track record, so it made sense that they were going to bring out the big guns. Mm-hmm. And the day after the Tate-LaBianca assignment, getting the Tate-LaBianca assignment, Bugliosi joined in a search of the Spawn Ranch, where police gathered .22 caliber bullets and shell casings from a canyon used by the family members for target practice. Mm-hmm. And the next day, the search party moved on to the isolated Barker Ranch, which was the most recent home of the family on the edge of Death Valley. Mm-hmm. And in the small house at Barker Ranch where they all stayed, Bugliosi saw the small cabinet under the sink where Manson was found hiding during the October raid. 
real brave Hiding guy. Hiding under the sink. Yeah, why does Jesus need to hide? No. Um so on an abandoned bus in a gully, investigators discovered magazines from World War II, all containing articles about Hitler. Which cool. I cool, yeah, sure, but I find it extremely interesting in the sense that one of the theories about Hitler is that he was an artist who was not given the chance to yeah. showcase his art and then went around and killed a bunch of people. And that's basically yeah, what Manson did. Manson yeah, true. Manson was going over to the house of this record executive, recording recording music, doing all this stuff, and then the guy was like, actually, never mind, probably because he was fucking crazy. And mm-hmm. then Manson was like, the first target that we're gonna, like, do or whatever is that house where that guy lives. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's very eerily similar. Um, but so, based on Ronnie Howard's account of Atkins' confession and interviews conducted with various Manson family members, the LAPD eventually identified the five people who participated in the attacks at the Tate Tate House and the LaBianca Mm -hmm. House. And those people were Atkins, Krenwinkel, Van Houten, Kasabian, and Watson. Mm -hmm. Um, Atkins was still in custody, so she remained in custody at Dormitory 8000. Van Houten was picked up for questioning in California. Krenwinkel was apprehended in Mobile, Alabama. Kasabian voluntary, voluntarily surrendered to local police in Concord, New Hampshire. And Watson was hiding, but eventually found in Texas. Mm-hmm. And everybody except for Watson was extradited to California. Watson's lawyers fought his extradition for nine months. So... Knowing that the convictions of at least some defendants would require a testimony from one of those people present at the murders, the DA's office first reached a plea deal with Atkins's attorney after promising not to seek the death penalty, plus ha- giving consideration for a future reduction in charges if she continued to cooperate during the trial and if she testified before a grand jury. Mm-hmm. So Atkins appeared before the grand jury on December 5th, 1969, telling them she was, quote, in love with the reflection, end quote, of Manson, and that Mm. there was, quote, no limit to what she would do for him. And in an emotionless voice, she described the horrific events that occurred at the Tate residence. She talked about how Tate pled for her life, saying, quote, please let me go. All I want to do is have my baby, end quote. Mm. And she described the actual murders and talked about returning to the car, stopping along a side street to wash off their bloody clothes with a garden hose, and of Manson's reaction on their return to the Spawn Ranch. And Atkins said that she, quote, felt dead when she came back, and added, quote, I feel dead now, end quote. Mm -hmm. So after 20 minutes of deliberation, the grand jury returned with murder indictments against Manson, Watson, Krenwinkel, Kasabian, Van Houten, and Atkins, for the murders of Tate, Frakowski, Folger, Sebring, and Parent, as well as for the LaBianca murders. Mm-hmm. So with efforts to extradite Watson from Texas still being tied up, um, rather than wait, the DA's office decided to proceed with the jury selection for Manson, Atkins, Krenwinkel, and Van Houten only. And that was on June 15, 1970. Um, Manson requested to ask potential jurors, quote, a few simple childlike questions that are real to me in my reality, end quote. Okay. Shockingly, this request was denied. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Yeah. 
Um, and during the proceedings, Manson, everybody knows that like creepy, the crazy eyes that he has. Yeah. He fixed that stare for hours, first on the presiding judge, Judge Older, and then one day on Bugliosi. And yeah, that makes me want to quit. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Bugliosi, if anything, took it as a challenge. And oh, no. after getting the stare treatment from Manson, Bugliosi took advantage of a recess, slid, in his, slid his chair next to Manson and asked, what are you trembling about, Charlie? Are you afraid <laughs> of me? It's <laughs> a bold move. I can't. I'm just, yes, let's taunt the killer. Yeah. So Manson responded, quote, Bugliosi, you think I'm bad and I'm not, end quote. <laughs> Bugliosi went on to tell Manson, or Manson went on to tell Bugliosi that Atkins was, quote, just a stupid little bitch, end quote, <laughs> who told a story, quote, to get attention, end quote. All right. So after a month of proceedings, a jury of seven men and five women was selected and the jury knew that it would be sequestered for a long time, but they didn't know that it would end up being 225 days, which was longer than any jury in history. Holy shit. Yeah. Almost a fucking year. Um, So opening statements for the trial began on July 24th, 1970, and Manson appeared in court with, as many know, a freshly cut bloody X carved into his forehead, signifying, yep. he said in a statement that, quote, I have X'd myself from your world, end quote. He's like, if Jesus was a toddler, this is what he would be. He gets um, crazier and crazier every time he opens his mouth. Yeah, and now that he's dead, I feel like he's less terrifying. Like, I can make yeah. fun of him without worrying about him breaking into my house and killing me. Yep. But Or ordering someone to do so. Shut up. Um, <laughs> and... Then Manson defended himself in court with the help of his attorney, Irving Kanarek, who was known as just being like a ball buster, like really like the type of lawyer that you would expect that doesn't have a leg to stand on. So just tries to like just throw prolong, shit out there. Yes. And prolong yeah. for as long as possible. Just chuck shit at a wall and see if it sticks. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Bugliosi, in his opening statement for the prosecution, indicated that his, quote, principal witness, witness, I can't speak, would actually be Kasabian, not Atkins, who the prosecution had turned to with a promise of prosecutorial immunity for her testimony. Because, again, she technically only served as the lookout. Like, yeah, it was still bad, but she was technically just the lookout. She didn't kill anybody. Mm -hmm. And they did this when Atkins... Presumably in response to threats from Manson, announced that she would not testify the trial. However, this also meant that her deal with the DA was off the table. Yeah. Um, so Kasabian had been given the complete immunity and Bugliosi promised the jury that the evidence would show Manson had a motive for the murders. And he said that it was, quote, perhaps even more bizarre than the murders themselves, end quote, in terms of the motive. Mm-hmm. However... When Kasabian was called to the stand on July 27th, Kanarek immediately sprung up with an objection on the grounds that Kasabian, quote, is not competent and is insane, end quote. Like, this is the type of, like, lawyer that he is. This is the type of shit he pulls. This Um, is the person that's insane? Yes, exactly. Um, So, Judge Older called Kanarek to the bench and told him his conduct was, quote, outrageous and denied the objection and Kasabian was sworn in as a witness. She would then remain on the stand for 18 days. Oh, my God. Which included seven days of cross-examination by Kanarek. 
So crazy is as crazy does. Um, Kasabian told the jury that no family member ever refused an order from Manson, saying, quote, we always wanted to do anything and everything for him, end quote. And after describing what she saw during the Tate murders, Kasabian was asked about their return to the commune and cleaning the blood off the car and her account of the LaBianca murders. And she testified that she did not want to go to the LaBianca house, but went anyway, quote, because Charlie asked me and I was afraid to say no, end quote. Mm. Kasabian then proved to be a very credible witness, despite the best efforts during the cross-examination of defense attorneys to make her appear like a spaced out hippie. Um, after admitting that she took LSD about 50 times, Kasabian was asked by Kanarek, describe what happened on trip number 23. End quote. <laughs> um, like, this bitch. So, like, other really? defense questions. Yeah, I know. Like, seriously? Like, shut the fuck up. Um, so, other defense questions explored her beliefs in ESP, witchcraft, um, vibrations that she claimed to receive from Manson, just all of that hippy-dippy shit. Uh-huh. And a major distraction from Kasabian's testimony came on August 3rd when Manson got up in front of the jury and held a copy of the L.A. Times with the headline, Manson Guilty Nixon Declares. Okay. The defense obviously moved for a mistrial on the grounds that the headline would prejudice the jury against the defense. But Judge Older denied the motion after each juror stated under oath that he or she would not be influenced by the president's reported declaration of guilt, which makes sense because Nixon was a shithead. Um, So testimonies corroborating that of Caspian, Kasabian, came from several other prosecution witnesses, most notably Virginia Castro, who was the inmate who... Like, she told, Atkins told the story, too. Yeah. Um, okay, good. I'm glad that makes sense to you, because I was like, does this make sense in my head? <laughs> <laughs> um, so then, other witnesses would describe receiving threats from Manson, um, evidence of Manson's total control over the lives of the family members, uh, conversations in which Manson told about the coming of Helter Skelter and how he said that that was predicted by the Beatles. Um, <laughs> yep. Just, you know, normal shit. Yeah. And family member Watkins, the one that was the the main lady grabber, yeah. for lack of a better word, um, he also provided a key testimony about the motive for the Tate Lambianca murders, um, including its link to the Bible's Book of Revelation. Mm. So he testified that Manson discussed Helter Skelter constantly. That was a direct quote. Um, Bugliosi asked Watkins how Helter Skelter would start. And Watkins said, quote, this is a long one. There would be some atrocious murders that some of the spades from Watts would come up into the Bel Air and Beverly Hills district and just really wipe some people out. Just Mm. cut bodies up and smear blood and write things on the wall in blood and cut little boys up and make parents watch. So, in retaliation, this would scare. In other words, all the other white people would be afraid that this would happen to them. So, out of their fear, they would go into the the ghetto and just start shooting black people like crazy. But all they would shoot would be the garbage man and Uncle Tom's and all the ones that were with Whitey in the first place. And underneath it all, the black Muslims would. He He knew that it was coming down. The it was Helter Skelter. 
Mm-hmm. He knew that it was coming down, end quote. Um, and the it that he's referring to is Helter Skelter. But basically, yeah. for those who need a translation, because I sure as fuck did, um, what Watkins was saying was that Manson wanted a revolution by the blacks against the whites. Um, so first he was going to have crimes committed make it look like black people all the white people would go into the black communities kill the black people but they would kill the black people who were actually on the white people's side not the black people who hated white people yeah white hating black people would then come in kill all the white people and then when the black people proved unable to govern society they would turn to manson and his tribe of followers who would have survived helter skelter by hiding out in death valley and that's a whole cool. other story because you see yeah. revelation nine i'm starting to feel like that meme of what's his face from it's always sunny with like all the yeah. notes on the wall that's how i'm starting to feel and like the strings that connect yes everything. yes so revelation nine all my bible friends they talk about a bottomless pit revelation 10 talks about a city with no sun and no moon according to watkins manson spoke about this city many times and said that the family said to the family quote there would be a city of gold but there would be no life and there would be no a tree there that bells that bears 12 different kinds of fruit that change every month and this was Mm -hmm. interpreted to mean this was the hole down under death valley end quote so Mm -hmm. he like merged revelations 9 and 10 together and there is a hole but inside the hole is the no sun no moon city and in there is like where they're going to live Manson also talked about the 12 tribes of Israel and that just as the tribes were going to, according to the Bible, go back to that population of 144,000, that the Manson family would grow to have that many members all while Helter Skelter was happening above their little secret underground city. Sounds like he thought all of this out 100% perfectly. It sounds like he took a couple trips on LSD. Yeah. So according to Watson, Manson then told his followers that, quote, the karma would have completely reversed, meaning that the black men would be on top and the white race would be wiped out. There would be none except for the family, end quote. And it would be at that point that Manson would take over. Mm -hmm. So funny how it goes from and then the family takes over to and then Manson takes over. Yeah, just him. Just him. Um. So then on November 16th, 1970, after 22 weeks of testimony, the prosecution rested its case. Just the prosecution. We're not even Mm -hmm. on defense yet. Yeah. So when the trial resumed three days later, the defense startled the courtroom and the prosecution by announcing, didn't call a single fucking witness. They just go, the defense rests. Wow. (laughs) Um, Bold. Yes. Um, So suddenly three female defendants began shouting that they wanted to testify. So Van Hooten and Atkins and um, I can't fucking pronounce her name. Ker- Kerwinkle. Okay. Hang on. I'm not, I'm Krenwinkle. Krenwinkle. Um, so they were like, no, like we want to, we want to fucking testify. And I'm like, you stupid bitches. Uh-huh. Um, so, they everybody was called to chambers and the attorneys for the women explained that even though their clients wanted to testify they as their attorneys did not agree and they felt that they were still under the powerful influence of manson and believed that they would testify that they planned and committed the murders without the help of manson 
Yeah. So ultimately, Judge Older declared that the right to testify took precedence and said the defendants could testify over the objections of their counsel. Okay. Don't really know why he would do that, but okay. So Atkins was then sworn in as a witness, but her attorney, Day Shin, refused to ask her a single question. <laughs> like, wow. Yakety Sacks just goes. Um, like, okay. So then the next day, or well, also, I should mention that one defense attorney also complained that questioning the clients on the stand would be like, quote, aiding and abetting a suicide. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it is, but like, who yakety sacks just plays. Yeah. So then the next day, Manson then announced that he too wanted to testify. <laughs> Great. But he wanted Perfect. to do it. This was the one good thing that he has ever done. He wanted to testify before his co-defendants did. Sure. Which I think was, I'll explain what I think in a minute. But so first he testified without the jury present so that potentially excludable testimonies related to evidence incriminating the co-defendants might be identified before it could prejudice the jury. And even with that, Manson gave a fucking one hour testimony, which was honest to God, just like fucking psychobabble. Yeah. I, I have picked out some snippets that I greatly enjoyed. Perfect. Let's hear them. Number one, quote, I don't understand you, but I don't try. I don't try to judge nobody. I know that the only person I can judge is me. But I know this, that in your hearts and your own souls, you are as much responsible for the Vietnam War as I am for killing these people. End quote. The fuck? <laughs> Where the what? fuck did that come from? I don't know. Sure, I don't okay. know. I don't know, man. I don't know. That's just one of many. So here we go. Uh -huh. Next. Quote. I can't dislike you, but I will say this to you. You haven't got long before you are all going to kill yourselves because you are all crazy. And you can project it back at me. But I am only what lives inside each and every one of you. End quote. Oh my god, that's like a creepypasta. Me, 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 me. It, it's, it's nuts. Oh my god. <laughs> Next we have, quote. Uh, just imagine an hour of this also. But anyway. I love um, it. Quote, I have done my best to get along in your world, and now you want to kill me. And I look at you, and I say to myself, you want to kill me? Ha! I'm already dead. Have been all my life. I've spent 23 years in tombs that you built. End quote. <laughs> I'm already dead. That's like, you can't fire me, I quit. Like, that's yeah, so fucking that's, stupid. That's also like, I saw this meme recently that was like, you want to really freak out, like, flat earthers? Or like, oh, you, uh, you believe in the... The moon landing? Like, somebody's like, oh, yeah, you believe in the moon landing? You believe in the moon? <laughs> it's like, you try to out-crazy everybody else. I love that. Oh, all out Forgive crazy. my smoker's so cough. Oh, I will, too. Oh, I thought that that was... Never mind. I understand what you're saying. It was the... <laughs> okay. I take it back. Next, um, this one was Michael's favorite. Good. Quote... Sometimes I think about giving it back to you. Sometimes I think about just jumping on you and letting you shoot me. If I could, I would jerk this microphone off and beat your brains out with it because that is what you deserve. That is what you deserve. End quote. Wow, that's a cute one. I want to jerk this microphone off. Like, he is crazy. He is genuinely crazy. Yeah, I don't think that was the one that was like, oh, wait, now he's crazy. I think every single one. But yeah, that's nuts. Yeah. And then we I'm have, psycho. we have, we saved the best for last. This oh is God, a long one, but it's a goodie. I love it. 
Mr. Bugliosi is a hard-driving prosecutor, polished education, a master of words, semantics. He is a genius. He has got everything that every lawyer would want to have except one thing. A case. He doesn't have a case. Were I allowed to defend myself, I could have proven this to you. The evidence in this case is a gun. There was a gun that laid around the ranch. It belonged to everybody. Anybody could have picked that gun up and done anything they wanted to do with it. I don't deny having that gun. That gun has been in my possession many times. Like the rope was there because you need rope on a ranch. It is really convenient that Mr. Baggett found those clothes. I imagine he got a little taste of money for that. They put the hideous bodies on display and they imply, if he gets out, see what will happen to you. It, it being helter-skelter, means confusion, literally. It doesn't mean any war with anyone. It doesn't mean that some people are going to kill other people. Helter-skelter is confusion. Confusion is coming down around you fast. If you can't see the confusion coming down around you fast, you can call it what you wish. Is it a conspiracy that the music is telling the youth to rise up against the establishment because the establishment is rapidly destroying things? Is that a conspiracy? The music speaks to you every day, but you are too deaf, dumb, and blind to even see or to even listen to the music. It is not my conspiracy. It is not my music. I hear what it relates. It says rise. It says kill. Why blame it on me? I didn't write the music. End quote. Wow. He he really trying to blame this crime on the Beatles. He really he really out here doing yeah. that. He really doing that. Yeah. He really out there. He really out there doing that. Like, okay, okay, guy. I can't believe he spoke for an hour. One fucking hour. And like, oh, God. Like, come on, man. I just, I can't. Yeah. I can't. So, at the conclusion of Bugliosi's brief cross-examination of Manson, because he was like, I have nothing, um, Older, Judge Older asked Manson if he now wished to testify before the jury. And Manson replied, quote, I have already relieved all the pressure I had, end quote, <laughs> and left the stand. All right. And as he walked, this is why I think that this is the one, not literally good, but like, he, I, I don't know, I have theories. As he mm -hmm. walked by the counsel table, he told his three co-defendants, you don't have to testify now. Okay. It could have been that, uh, like, so... He, I don't think he knew that he was doing such a good thing because if they testified first, he probably would have gotten off. They would have claimed responsibility. But I think that he is one of the killers where we talk about like they want to have the glory. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why he testified first. Yeah. So he, it was a good thing. It wasn't supposed to be a good thing, but it was a good fucking thing because it did yeah. not help him whatsoever. <laughs> During all of these testimonies, I would also like to mention that while Manson and his female family members were on the stand testifying on trial, all of that. Remember from I mentioned from. Yes. Well, she and other members of the family were camped outside the courthouse and would spout their devotion to Manson at any passersby and the media. The wow. entire time, just protesting their arrest and their trial okay so the crazy is strong in this one and yeah, then clearly even with manson's cuckoo for cocoa puffs testimony there was one last really fucked up surprise during the trial mm -hmm. and 
So when the trial resumed on November 30th, following Manson's testimony, Ronald Hughes, who was the defense attorney for Van Houten, did not appear. Um, Mm -hmm. A subsequent investigation revealed that he had disappeared over the weekend while camping in the remote area of Sespe Hot Strings, which is northwest of L.A. And it is widely believed that Manson ordered for Hughes to be murdered because he was determined to pursue a defense theory that Van Houten was not acting independently, as Manson had suggested, but was completely controlled by her action in her actions by Manson. Mm -hmm. So Manson was like, bye bye. (laughs) So, literally, we're down a lawyer, we're coming up at the end of the trial, in the final argument, Kanarek tells the jury that the female dependents were committing the Tate and LaBianca murders out of a love of the crime's true mastermind, Watson, Uh, uh, who is still absent and not able to defend himself, by the way. Okay. But, like... Can we just? Can we just? This is, it gets so crazy. There's no wonder that this took almost a year. Yeah. Yeah. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking, like, get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. So, like, it started out, he had us in the first half, not gonna lie. Yeah. Um, Kanarak also suggested that Manson was being persecuted because of his, quote, lifestyle. And... He argued that the prosecution's theory of a motive was fanciful, and his argument lasted seven days, which prompted Judge Older to call it, quote, no longer an argument, but a filibuster. (laughs) That's very true, though. (laughs) Yeah, I know, but it's so fucking funny. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, like, this is... This is a shit show. This is an actual shit show. You think on day four, people like turn to each other and be like, how long, how long do you think this is going on for? I, I mean, I'm doing it now, (laughs) 50 years later and I'm fucking doing it now. Yeah. So meanwhile, Bugliosi's summation described Manson as, quote, the Mephistophelian guru who, quote, sent out from the fires of hell at Spawn Ranch three heartless, bloodthirsty robots, and, unfortunately for him, one human being, the little hippie girl Linda Kasabian. Bugliosi Mm. goes through his whole thing, doesn't take seven days, and ends his summation with, quote, a roll call of the dead, end quote. Wow. Saying, quote, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Sharon Tate, Abigail Folger, Wojtek Frakowski, Jay Sebring, Stephen Parent, Leno LaBianca, Rosemary LaBianca, are not here with us in this courtroom, but from their graves, they cry out for justice. End quote. Well, shit. I'm, I'm here for it. Like, yeah. entertain me. Yeah. So the jury deliberated for a week before returning its verdict on January, w- returning with its verdict on January 25th, 1971. Shockingly, all the defendants were found guilty on each count of first-degree murder. Mm -hmm. And after hearing additional evidence in the penalty phase of the trial, the jury completed its work by sentencing Manson, Krenwinkel, Atkins, and Van Houten to death on March 29, 1971. And as the clerk read the verdict, everybody went crazy. Manson shouted, quote, you people have no authority over me, end quote. (laughs) Okay. 
Krenwinkel declared, quote, you have judged yourselves, end quote. Mm-hmm. Atkins said, quote, better lock your doors and watch your own kids, end quote. Okay, that's a threat. Yep. Van Houten complained, quote, the whole system is a game, end quote. Yep. All of this is happening at the same time. Yeah. So the trial was over. And at over nine months, it was the longest and most expensive trial in American history. And Charles Manson was incarcerated in a maximum security prison um, in a maximum security section of a state penitentiary in Concord, mm-hmm. California. Um, after the trial, Kasabian changed her name and moved to the Pacific Northwest. Um, that same year, in a separate trial, after finally getting extradited from Texas, Watson was also found guilty of the Tate and LaBianca murders and was also sentenced to death. However, in 1972, California abolished the death penalty and therefore all of the family members' sentences were commuted to life in prison. Hmm. Fromm was the protester outside, never linked to the Tate and LaBianca murders, but she was eventually charged and convicted for her 1975 assassination attempt on President Gerald Ford. Yeah, that that would do it. That'll do it. And she was given a life sentence and was somehow released on parole on August 14th, 2009, after serving 34 years. And her whereabouts are currently unknown. Oh. And then in 1985, Grogan, who was arrested and tried separately like Watson, was released on parole after revealing the location of the body of a ranch hand named Donald Shorty Shea, who the family killed in 1969. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on September 24th, 2009, Atkins, who had been diagnosed with terminal brain cancer, died while serving her life sentence at the Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla. In 2014, Krenwinkel provided an interview for the documentary Life After Manson, which was her first on-camera appearance since 1984. And at a 2004 parole hearing, she said she placed herself at the top of the list people she had harmed. Rich. Okay. So rich. Of all the people that I have hurt, I would say I am at the top of that list. Like, fuck off. Wait. You lived. Um, yeah. You weren't even supposed to live and you lived. Um, so then in December 2016, California parole board members delayed their decision on freeing Krenwinkle after her attorney raised claims of abuse at the hands of Manson or another member of the cult. The California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation issued a statement that the information presented at the hearing did elicit cause for an investigation. But on June 22nd, 2017, Krenwinkle was denied parole for the 14th time. Wow. She is currently California's longest serving female inmate and will be eligible again for consideration for parole in 2022. Someone's going to tell me she's not going to get it. Just just a wild guess. Yeah. Just yeah. like I'm just going to assume I know that I shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Statistically, she's not getting it. Yeah. So then on April 14th, 2016, a parole board panel recommended Van Houten's release But in July 2016, former California Governor Brown denied parole for Van Houten. On September 6, 2017, a two-person state commission panel granted Van Houten parole for a second time. But on January 19, 2018, my boy, Governor Brown again denies parole for Van Houten. And this time... 
Oh. How would that look on him, though? Like, if you True. grant parole to a Manson family member, it's like... Yeah. You're never going to get reelected or anything. Well, but he, he wasn't... This was at the end of his term anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but... So he, he again denied parole, but this time he went further and he cited the horrific nature of the murders, Van Houten's eager participation, and his belief that she minimizes her roles in the murders. Yeah. So on January 30th, 2019, Van Houten was again recommended for parole at her 22nd overall hearing and was wow. again denied by my boo, newly elected governor Gavin Newsom voted for him because I could on June 3rd, 2019. Mm-hmm. literally a month ago wow yes so then on october 14th 2016 Bausolet, remember him he killed mm-hmm. hinman he was denied parole for the 18th time but on january 3rd 2019 he was recommended for parole at his 19th hearing the case went to the governor to rule on the parole decision and on april 26 2019 governor newsom denied parole for Bausolet. on Jeez. october 6 27th 2016 Watson was denied parole for the 17th time, and I feel that it's also important to note that while in prison, good old Tex married, divorced, and became a father of four. Whoa. Yeah. He also, That's quite a life. Quite a life. Also earned a degree in business management and was ordained as a minister in 1981. And wow. good old Reverend Tex Watson will be eligible for reconsideration for parole in 2021. Whoa. And now we get to the heavy hitter. On April 11th, 2012, Manson was denied parole for the 12th time. According to the California Parole Board, Manson had a history of manipulation, controlling behavior, and mental illnesses, which included schizophrenia and paranoid delusional behavior. However, I'm not one to be prejudicial against people's mental illnesses. Uh Uh-huh. But he also had accrued 108 seriously serious disciplinary violations in prison from 1971 until that time, and showed no remorse for the murders. So, like, yeah, no shit. lock him the fuck up. Yeah. A search of the prison chapel where Manson took a job in 1980 revealed his hidden cash included marijuana, 100 feet of nylon rope, and a mail-order catalog for hot air balloons. <laughs> Wonder okay. what that plan was. In 1986, he self-published a autobiography titled Manson in His Own Words, in which he wow. claims, quote, My eyes are cameras. My mind is tuned to more television channels than exist in your world, and it suffers no censorship. Through it, I have a world and the universe as my own. End quote. I want to read it. Good for you, buddy. You can read it. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna pass on that f- one, but you can read it. I want to hear the craziness. <laughs> I want to see it with my own eyes. Yes. So then on November 20th, 2013, a 25-year-old pen pal who called herself Star told Rolling Stone magazine that she began sending letters to Manson when she was in high school and she considered Manson her husband. However, Manson said that Star's story was, quote, garbage and then did what any sane person would do and obtained a marriage license with Star, whose real name was revealed to be Afton Elaine Burton on November 18th, 2014, pretty much a year later. Mm -hmm. As you do. However, to the shock of, I'm sure, everybody... The wedding was called off, according to the tabloids, in February 2015. No. An 80-year-old man and a 25-year-old woman? The marriage won't work? Shocking. Um, Don't then say on, that. It's true love. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Um, on it's November 17, 2017, Manson was brought to a hospital in Kern County, California, where he died two days later on November 19, 2017, of natural causes. 
Mm. After a four-month fight over Manson's remains, a Kern County judge ruled in favor of releasing them to Jason Freeman, who claims he is Manson's grandson, on March 13, 2018. All right. So that's that's fine. So now we get into the fun part, which is the pop culture side of things. Oh, because yeah. things have been heavy and we need to relax. Yeah. So, first up, there's a lot of movies that have been made about them or referencing them, including, so remember how I talked about they went to that guy Harold's house. They went back to his house and they were just like, hey, is Harold home? Yeah. That served as inspiration for the movie that we love to talk about on here, The Strangers. Ooh, okay. Except instead of, is Harold home, it's, is Tamara home? So it's basically kind of... They were thinking, okay, well, the Manson family did this. What would have happened if, like, there were people at the house that it wasn't just, like, abandoned? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would the LaBiancas have lived? Really, really fucked up shit to think about. But, yeah. Um, It also inspired, among others, 2004's Helter Skelter. Of course, 2016's Wolves at the Door. Mm -hmm. 1997's The Manson Family, based on a true story. Like, the list just goes on and on and on. Yeah, people love to talk about this guy. They really do. Like... And I, I can understand why. Like, it's fascinating. We're constantly learning new things. But also, like, come on, let's learn let's learn about some new stuff. So one recent one that we're going to be focusing on is The Haunting of Sharon Tate, which we've mentioned in previous mm-hmm. episodes. And the movie stars Hilary Duff, who also executive produced. And you know her as Lizzie McGuire. It also stars Jonathan Bennett, a.k.a. Aaron Samuels, as Jay Sebring, which is part of the reason why I was like, maybe Jay Sebring was gay. Um, Mm -hmm. the movie, which is a fictional portrayal of Tate becoming, quote, plagued by visions of her imminent death, end quote, leading up to Manson's family's attack, was not well received, as we know. Um, No, yeah, we talked about it in the true crime controversies. Yes, we did. Um, not well received by either critics or family members of Tate. It has a 3.1 out of 10 on IMDb. A 47% Google score, which Google tends to be more, like, lenient, and still they were like, bye. Um, A 15% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, with the critical consensus being, quote, The haunting of Sharon Tate dishonors the events it seeks to dramatize with a poorly acted and offensively exploitative take on a real-life tragedy, end quote. Yeah. I, I would agree 100% with that. Sums it's it very up. Offensive. Sums it up. Yeah, yeah. And Deborah Tate, Sharon Tate's sister, specifically was in direct opposition to the film, calling it, quote, mm-hmm. classless, end quote. Mm-hmm. And the film, also, I feel like mentioning, we had mentioned previously, like, about, like, O.J. Simpson and things like that. It's yeah. part of an anthology series by writer, director, and producer Dan Farrens. And the next mm. installment is the murder of Nicole Brown Simpson. Oh, okay. So, but wait, he's got more. Um, Can't wait to see how that works out. But anyway, so Anthony DeMara, um, who was the nephew of Sebring, he was three years old when Sebring was murdered, Uh has been working on a documentary about his uncle over the course of about 15 years after reading some negative portrayals of his uncle after the murders. And Mm -hmm. the film was in post-production as of a 2016 review. And he told People Magazine in 2014, quote, I want people to know more about him. So much fascination and attention has been paid to the crimes and killers. But for our families, the killings are a life sentence. Yeah. End quote. I, I completely agree. And I hope he's he's also an actor. Um, he's a writer. And I just I really hope that, like, 
he's yeah, able to he put has out success with it. Yeah, I hope he's able to put it out. Um, and then also we can't not talk about the huge movie coming out this week. I'm seeing it next Tuesday. No pun intended. Um, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. which stars Margot Robbie as Tate, Damon Harriman as Manson, which I've seen just in the trailer so far, and I'm not sure that I love it. Like, he creeps me out, but he creeps me out in that he looks a lot like a sewer rat, and sewer rats creep me out. Okay. Um, but the full detail, the film details the Manson family murders from a fictional point of view of a neighbor of Tate and Polanski's, TV star Rick Dalton. Um, mm-hmm. This is all fictional, but he's played by Leonardo DiCaprio. The movie has not even been released yet, and it already has a 9.5 out of 10 on IMDb. Wow. Yeah. And it's well, right on time. Well, Quentin Tarantino's name on it. Exactly. And he's writing and directing. And it's the 50th anniversary of the murders. Like, yeah. We're yeah. going to get some stuff. But as we've touched on, um, there's also plenty of literature on the events, too. Not even including Manson's Mr. Toad Wild Ride of a fucking biography. And Atkins's autobiography, which she wrote in 1977, titled Child of Satan, Child of God. <laughs> okay. Cool. Um, in 1974, Bugliosi also went on to co-write a best-selling book on the ordeal titled Helter Skelter, The True Story of the Manson Murders. Joan Didion fucking wrote about the events in her 1978 essay, The White Album, saying, quote, Many people I know in Los Angeles believe that the 60s ended abruptly on August 9th, 1969, Ended mm-hmm. at the exact moment when word of the murders on Cielo Drive traveled like brush fire through the community. And in a sense, this is true. The tension broke that day. The paranoia was fulfilled, end quote. Mm. The Manson family members are also, the, well, the female ones at least, are the subject of the fictional novel The Girls by Emma Klein, which was released in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard good things about that book. I believe it was a New York Times bestseller. It's on my list of books to read. But um, Yeah, I feel like I've heard of the book, but I didn't know what it was about. Yeah, I, I, I like knew that that was what it was about. But then when I was researching this, I was just like, oh, yeah, that exists. I'd forgotten about it, but it is mm-hmm. on my list. Um, but then also, given that Manson was such a musical dude, it's not a surprise that the family and their crimes are referenced in a bunch of songs. Yes. Um, Sonic Youth has the song Death Valley 69 which was inspired by the hiding place. Manson said that his followers would be waiting for, waiting in, whatever, Yeah. when Helter Skelter broke out. Uh, the video for Nine Inch Nails' track, Gave Up, was shot entirely at the scene of the Tate murders in the summer of 1993. And wow. also, a lot of their breakthrough album, The Downward Spiral, was recorded there. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Neil Young, who was a friend of Manson's, wrote a song called Revolution Blues about the ordeal, and the Ramones wrote a controversial song called Glad to See You Go about the Manson murders, which led them to be criticized for glamorizing and trivializing the crimes. Mm. And yet, the Marilyn Manson, who also, I should mention, his name, his stage name is a literal juxtaposition of Marilyn Monroe and Charles Manson's names. Yeah. Um, his track, Beautiful People, wasn't accused of that, despite it being about the paramedics and police arriving at the scene of the Tate murders and being confronted with a message written in blood on one of the doors, reading, quote, 
How does it feel to be one of the beautiful people, end quote. Huh. But yeah, let's go after the Ramones. Well, people expect that from Marilyn Manson. True. Fair. Accurate. But so, yeah. So then finally, and for me, the most amusing, I had to include a line from the infamous song Straight Outta Compton, in which Ice Cube says, quote, here's a murder rap to keep you dancing with a crime record like Charles Manson. Perfect. Anything? I'm sure he's I'm sure he's referenced a million times in other songs that just didn't make the list, but like But when Ice Cube mentions everywhere. it Yes. But big when Ice news. Cube mentions it, big news, at least for me. Like we gotta we gotta bring that up. So yeah. So <laughs> we got movies, we got uh music, we got books. But we're not even done. No, never. So the Tate residence was torn down and replaced in 1994 by the property's owner, Alvin Weintraub. So literally like Nine Inch Nails got in there when they could. And then that was that. Yeah. Um, he also changed the street address to discourage any curious visitors. And he told Los Angeles Magazine in 1998, quote, there's no house, no dirt, no blade of grass. Whoops. No blade of grass remotely connected to Sharon Tate, end quote. Yeah. That to discourage people. Uh, that's what happened with the um, the Amityville Horror House too. They yeah. changed their address. Yeah. Um, however, the LaBianca home is still standing, and after the murders, a Filipino couple who was actually rumored to be friends with Imelda Marcos bought the home, and over time, the property has exchanged hands, and a pool and a carport have been added, and like the Tate House, the address was changed. But according to Rolling Stone, it actually just went on the market, literally like the other day, like last week. And yeah, it's, it's been in the news recently. Yeah. And you can buy it for just only $2 million. Um, just a cool $2 million. Yes. And also, the owners had to make significant like updates, and they were not trying to time this sale, apparently, with the 50th anniversary and Once Upon I'm a Time sure in Hollywood weren't. and all of that. They've been apparently working on selling the house for a couple of years now. They've all lived right. there for over 20 years. Like, apparently, this is what the the real estate agent has been saying. I don't know, man, but I was telling you, I wasn't even going to mention this. They're really, like, being very detailed and not making sure, making sure that, like, only people who actually want to buy the house are because uh-huh. they are disclosing it. You don't have to. You have to. It's within the last three years you have to disclose. But they're just disclosing it because, of course, like there are going to be people that do not want to live there. Um, yeah, clearly. Yeah. But um, the at the t- at, in the article that I was reading by Rolling Stone at the time that it was written, the real estate agent in charge of this sale was he screens everybody you need to provide proof of like your finances that you are pre-approved for funding all this other stuff Mm -hmm. um in order to actually be able to so much as see the house yeah he has done only 20 showings and he has denied 50 people well yeah um so like a lot of people want to see this fucking house yeah but i want to see houses in my neighborhood that People haven't been murdered in. Yeah, no, I it's fun. Them, it's I'm fun like, to drive I wanna, around. I want to look in that house. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. Let's do it. Um, but then finally, Spawn Ranch burned down in a wildfire in 1970. Too bad, so sad. 
But mm-hmm. um, visitors still regularly hike to the, quote, Manson family cave. Yeah. And that is the very broad, there's a spark lot more noted. details, very spark noted, Manson family and their murders and other crimes. Yay. Woo! I'm glad that's done. That was a biggie. That was a biggie. I have a stomach ache from the stress, but it's fine. It's all right. We're going to have so many links and. Oh my God. So many links. Yeah. And I'll let you know. I'll let you know in two weeks what I thought of the movie because I'm seeing it, like I said, next Tuesday. So I won't see it in time for recording, but like put the us in trust. I'm sure it's going to be good. We're going to do a little mini review. Oh, yes. It'll be great. But um, for all links and everything, go to our website, which is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. That's it. That's the and one. You can f- yeah, you can find all the links to our social media there. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, I think there's even a link there for our gmail so you can email us which is crimeculturepod at gmail.com that is indeed our email and uh our patreon link is also there so go join the patreon yes super fun a dollar you just you can just donate a dollar you can donate more than a dollar like we don't care just well we do care we do care we care we love all of our patrons yes yes we love uh, them all equally there's cool bonuses and stuff that you can get if you become a patron so go and check out the patreon yeah and if you have trouble finding any link um Ask we us. are always on all of our messengers and everything so literally always on us. yeah direct one of us goes us, to sleep we'll get back to you one of us goes to sleep the other one is awake like it's just it's it's beautifully terrible the beauty, the beauty of multiple coasts oh yes the one beauty of multiple coasts yes but anyway yeah, yeah. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and we will see you next Tuesday. (gasps) I get it. Bye. Bye.